Hi, I'm Rolf Fischer. I'm the head of the technology marketing division in the German Aerospace Center located in Cologne. And you are listening to IP Fridays. Hello and welcome to this episode of IP Fridays. Our names are Ken Suzanne and Rolf Clayson, and this is the podcast dedicated to intellectual property. It does not matter where you are from, in-house or private practice, novice or expert. We will help you stay up to date with current topics in the fields of trademarks, patents, design and copyright, discover useful tools, and much more. Thank you very much for listening to the 58th episode of IP Fridays. Today's interview guests are Dr. Fischer and Dr. Stefan Burauer. Uh, Dr. Fischer is head of the technology transfer unit of the German Aerospace Center and Dr. Stefan Burauer is an IP employee of the same department. They will talk about their strategies to market technology and how an important trademark case went. Before we jump into the interview, I wanted to let you know that the EPO has undergone a big reform. The boards of appeal are completely reformed and are now independent of the European Patent Office. Uh, you can have a look at the blog at blog.epo.org or at the main website 3w.epo.org. Also, South Korea joined the Hague Agreement. That means you can protect your designs in many countries and among them now South Korea. And also some of the recent accessions are Japan and the US. So among these three important countries, um, the system, the Hague system has now become very interesting for design filers. Now let's jump into the interview. I am very excited to be joined by Dr. Rolf Fischer today. If you don't know who Dr. Rolf Fischer is, he is head of the technology marketing of the German Aerospace Center, the DLR Deutsches Zentrum für Luft- und Raumfahrt. He built uh, the technology unit of uh, technology marketing in 1995 and is heading this department uh, since 1999. I'm also joined by Dr. Stefan Burauer, who is IP manager for the technology marketing and he will talk about trademarks later. So thank you for being on the show. Thank you also. You're welcome. Thank you. So, um, uh, dear Dr. Fischer, can you tell us a little bit about the German Aerospace Center? Just a general overview. Just a general overview. The German Aerospace Center is uh, one of the largest German research centers. Uh, we are not a university. We are a research center with uh, uh, large facilities and uh, we do research activities on the fields of aeronautics, aerospace, transport, energy and safety and security. And um, we do it at uh, 16 locations within uh, Germany with uh, a sum of 8000 uh, employees. Um, we are also in the second function, uh, the German Space Agency, where we uh, work on behalf of the National Space Program and also the German contribution to the ESA program, uh, for example, the contributions to the ISS, the International Space Station, and all um, European space activities. And on the other side, we um, are a project management organization on behalf of the ministries, um, and uh, they are responsible for uh, the money which is spent for universities for uh, small and medium enterprises 
enterprises uh, doing research and development in several areas. And um, since you are heading the Department of Technology Marketing, what exactly is this department doing? This department uh, takes care of the results, the research results, the competences of the employees. Um, and uh, the goal is to bring these results and technologies to the market. That means a researcher ends his work at an invention. Invention is knowledge. And we take this knowledge and transfer it then uh, to a higher technology readiness level and then uh, taking care to bring it together with partners, with enterprises, with the industry to new products and uh, services in the market. And that we name in the end lead it to an innovation. Mm -hmm. And I assume there are several ways you can bring this to the market. I mean, this can either be, uh, maybe you can give us an overview what kind of ways you find, like licensing or uh, startups or what what do you use yeah, yeah. Um, there are several ways um, first of all you have to get an idea what could be a new product on the basis of a new technology so there at the front end of innovation um, we have an idea management where we uh, gather ideas from the employees from our side also from uh, external partners and um, then um, develop those ideas to innovation projects just with a, a goal to go from a technology level three that means a technology is working in the laboratory environment um, the development into an application and um, our goal is to bring it to the technology readiness level six that means um, the technology will work in the application environment and this is the point of technology transfer then to the industrial partner who are so then responsible to bring it via uh, readiness level 7 to 9. 9 is the ready product and the new service in the market. So that's a product then, that's the innovation uh, you can buy. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe we can jump into uh, two different examples um, where you have very different, where you had very different strategies uh, to bring these technologies to market. Uh, one is your technology Firewatch. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, that's an interesting technology because um, it was derived from uh, the mission of a uh, spacecraft to a comet to Churyumov Gerasimenko um, in 2004. They launched a mission with a named Rosetta mission. This is a European uh, mission by the European Space Agency with a German contribution to this mission. This was especially uh, a lander named Philae, which landed then in the year 2014, 10 years later, at the surface of the comet. And um, there, uh, one special technology was dedicated to the uh, landing camera sensor system. That's a Rosetta landing imaging system. That's um, on the one side a detector uh, which was able to uh, make uh, very high resolution pictures of the surface to detect the landing place of the uh, spacecraft and also developed algorithms to read out the sensors and to bring the pictures back to the Earth. That was a basic technology. And while this mission was on the way to the comet, in the early 20, uh, end of the 90s, uh, beginning of uh, 2000, 2001, uh, we developed the idea that this sensor, together with the algorithms, can be used to detect smoke. So our scientists in the Institute uh, for planet research uh, made some uh, validation and development of the sensor and the algorithms to a mechanism which was able to detect smoke 
which is the first sign of a, a forest fire and then uh, generates an automatic alarm uh, so that uh, very early the uh, fire guard can be alarmed and uh, all um, tasks to uh, stop the fire can be taken very early. This uh, Firewatch system um, was uh, at the Technology Readiness Level 6, brought then to the forest in uh, the big forest in eastern Germany. And uh, we there made a three years uh, test phase uh, to test during the uh, forest fire season um, how the system works. And um, the forest people were convinced that this is a very good system, uh, just um, to um, bring the people had to sit on the fire watch towers in former times and sitting nine days uh, a day, seven days a week uh, on a tower to uh, watch over the forest and uh, to see the smoke. And after nine hours, you are not more able to see one fire because you are uh, not able to take any uh, coordinated action. Uh, now the forest people sit in the office um, at the screen and will get uh, the automatic alarm. They have cameras to see at the smoke and detect where is the fire and uh, they get also the coordinates of the uh, fire and uh, can take a very quick action to prevent the frost from major damage. Mm. And this system uh, was brought then into the market by a small and medium enterprise in, in Berlin uh, who took then the license for uh, the patents and also the algorithms we developed uh, for the system. And uh, meanwhile, this system is around 250 times uh, uh, working in the forests in the Eastern Germany parts and also internationally in Litauen and uh, uh, America and, and France and in Spain and Greece and, mm -hmm. and, and other places. And uh, yeah, we try to bring it further in the market, also in USA and in Australia, perhaps, and in other places where forest fires are a big problem. Mm -hmm. And then there was a completely different uh, project <clears throat> and with a also very different approach how to uh, commercialize the product. That was Intelligence on Wheels, a yeah. very different approach. Can you tell us? Very different approach. A little bit um, different. <laughs> yeah, a little bit different. Um, this was derived from uh, the new research field of the DLR, which is now around uh, 16 years old. That's a, a transport research. And um, the first research activities were resulted in a system named uh, Train Collision Avoidance System. Um, that means uh, we remember there's uh, also named uh, TCAS um, for aeroplanes, uh, which is an automatic system when two planes uh, are on collision course. Um, automatically, one plane will uh, climb and uh, the other plane will descend uh, so that the collision will be avoided. Uh, when you have two trains uh, on collision course on one uh, rail, um, they're the only chances to stop. Mm -hmm. So uh, there are several systems who are in the infrastructure of the railways uh, located, which might uh, stop the trains automatically, but the signals can be overruled by the uh, train pilots in this case, and, and also by the, the people in the infrastructure. And um, as an overlay system, um, there was the idea to develop an uh, 
independent system, independent uh, from the railway structure. That's a system uh, sitting on the uh, trains itself, which had one on the one uh, point, first point, um, a GPS receiver. Uh, second point, very precise map of the railway. Uh, you remember from our navigation system, the car derived. Uh, we have uh, the locations with the right coordinates. And um, a third, um, out of these informations, they get the information that the trains are on collision course and then give a communication signal to the train pilots uh, to stop their train immediately. So that's an additional system which would prevent uh, collisions in this way. And this idea was developed in an institute for uh, transport systems and was then um, uh, further developed with uh, competences and uh, knowledge out of our Institute for Communication and Navigation concerning the uh, GPS location and the communication uh, ways. And um, we got out of an idea board uh, within DLR this idea and developed it to a project. And uh, meanwhile, um, the scientists uh, themselves said, okay, we uh, there see is a chance to build up a new and known enterprise. And uh, we also supported this uh, way of bringing technology to the market. If you can get a partner to bring it to the market, you make one. And in this mm -hmm. case, uh, the enterprise was formed and uh, is now with a new product in the market and is selling uh, the system to the uh, train providers. So sometimes you find licensees and sometimes you found your own companies <laughs> that yeah, yeah, can yeah. then bring yeah, the product to market. Our own companies, but these are not companies uh, of DLR that are mm -hmm. self-sending companies and also they license then uh, technologies and the IP from DLR. Yes. So we mm -hmm. make normal contracts and every new enterprise formed and supported mm -hmm. by DLR is then a partner as other enterprises in the market mm -hmm. and will uh, get the technologies uh, via the normal way of licensing. and. and mm -hmm. Then one other interesting fact is that you studied, uh, studied physics um, and uh, is that helpful as a head of technology marketing to be um, a scientist basically? Yes, that's very helpful because we have 32 uh, research institutes within DLR at the 16 locations and um, they are working in different uh, disciplines but mainly in the natural scientists uh, uh, area. And uh, when we develop out of ideas uh, projects, uh, it's necessary to evaluate the projects uh, to see is it's technical feasible, makes it sense, um, is uh, the, the physics within uh, the project okay or will you violate the second rule of thermodynamics the, or something? That's uh, <laughs> exactly the case. Um, uh, you have to look on. Yeah, it's technical feasible. That's uh, the major point. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, and I think as, as a physicist or also other uh, disciplines as engineers, uh, and we have a team of different expertises uh, mm -hmm. and uh, each uh, team colleague of our technology marketing team contributes then to the evaluation and says, okay, I have this side uh, on the project and the other has another side. And together, I think we have a very good system to evaluate the projects and give the right hints to bring um, the technologies then uh, to the application in the right environment and then convince the partners in the market that this is a good technology to be a good uh, new product and an innovation in the market. Mm -hmm. 
Stefan, now uh, over to you. Um, you had a very interesting trademark case in the recent past. Uh, you had filed uh, for trademark GCC Galileo Control Center and uh, you were sued by a company, um, a, tra a travel agency basically, uh, as you told me, that had a trademark Galileo. Can you tell us more, uh, like a brief summary of the case? Well, in fact, it was uh, not a travel agency. It was a company who sells software to uh, travel agencies. Ah, I see. So it is, uh, there, there are three, four big competitors in the market worldwide. One, the biggest one is Amadeus. The third biggest company is named Galileo International Technology, based in Barbados and is now known under the name of Travelport Incorporated. And uh, this company, Galileo International Technology, sued in former times several big companies. For example, 10 years ago, they sued a company consortium from several European aerospace companies. They wanted to bring the Galileo satellites into the market and 10 years ago they uh, win at a higher regional court in Munich against this uh, company consortium and um, although this company consortium wanted to feel an, uh, file an appeal at the um, Supreme Court of Germany they were they lost all instances and uh, well they had to rename their company uh, they the, the company sued the ESA and the EU at the European Court of First Instance. There they failed, as well as they failed at the European Court of Justice. Then. And, uh, well, we had this uh, sue three years ago. They um, had a trademark Galileo and Galileo ViewTrip in, in the classes 9 for software and 38 for telecommunications. And we filed our trademark GCC Galileo Control Center for class uh, service class 42 scientific services as well as uh, class 38 telecommunication. This is very interesting. Well, there are in the last 10 years uh, several council regulations by the EU uh, that the European satellite system is named Galileo. That means that this trademark Galileo by Galileo International Technology is more or less invalid. Well, there, there are several uh, rules by the EU and that means that the name Galileo is descriptive per law for navigation. So if you have an, a system, because of several council regulations, I think there are around eight different council regulations since 2002, which name the project the satellite navigation project Galileo and so this is a very descriptive uh, thing and uh, this trademark although it was registered in former times in this part is now uh, um, invalid because it is uh, has a descriptive character and uh, this uh, saw the higher regional court in Munich saw it the same that this is a very descriptive character and therefore um, DLR also won this sue and also because of the fact that DLR is a research center and we don't have products at the time now being in the market. 
right? So you are not commercially using uh, uh, anything at the moment, so they cannot actually ask for damages. Yes, at the moment, yes. But uh, the fact is that the uh, European satellite navigation system Galileo is not already running. You need low Earth orbit around 34 different satellites, and I think at the moment there are still only eight in low Earth orbit. So it's still uh, in the building phase. Uh, phase. Well, in this case, there were also two different fields of businesses. We don't, we didn't have in this case the average user consumer. On the one hand, it was a company which focus was or is travel agencies to sell their software systems to travel agencies. And on the other hand, it was companies which should use the GCC Galileo Control Center. And this is, in our case, only one person or one juristical person, the EU. Because the EU gives the DLR money to control, to build up this, this satellite center and then to control the satellites which are the orbit. So since you have won the second instance uh, ruling now um, at the upper regional court in Munich, um, and the last instance uh, before the Federal uh, Court of Justice in Germany was refused, basically. Um, uh, now this is uh, kind of final, I guess, the ruling, except that, the, um, as I heard, the, um, uh, the plaintiff uh, tries to um, still get in front of the Federal Court of Justice, um, but with uh, very low chances of success, I guess, right? In the meantime, the time is over that they could file an appeal to get to the Federal Court of Justice. So this is now final. But the very interesting thing is that 10 years ago they sued a big company consortium and they had won. And now the same chamber, the same of this uh, high uh, regional court of, of justice in Munich, they, they reversed uh, totally yeah. their, their opinion. And also, um, well, they, they had also in mind this, this uh, decision from uh, uh, Galileo International Technology versus ESA EU at the Supreme Court of Justice in the EU. So now there is hope again for all the companies that are involved with Galileo that they can use the name Galileo again? Yes, I think so. That this will, this is the first step that it's getting better. But in the past, a lot of companies had, had to rename their company name because they had Galileo which is a person of everybody knows. He's uh, nearly as famous as Leonardo da Vinci. He's one of the persons who, who you are calling only by the surname. Normally it's Galileo Galilei. And uh, you know, you, you, you tell Galileo and you know, everybody knows who is Galileo. Uh, by using this surname, um, several companies had to rename. I mean, perhaps you know in the literature, Galileo Press, they had they have very good books. They have um, renamed uh, themselves. They are now named uh, Rheinberg Verlag because they had long disputes with this company. Other companies and other programs have, uh, they are still in this dispute with Galileo. You know, perhaps in Germany, there's a science show on television. It's also called Galileo. I know from the proceedings, from the written remarks of the company that they also had opposed this naming. And so there was a, is a small company or a small company in Germany 
which have a, has only a very small market, they want to block for everybody the name Galileo. And mm -hmm. so there's hope. This uh, this last um, decision is now hope also for the small and medium enterprises in the field of navigation that they could use perhaps Galileo in their name. So if people want to learn more about DLR, the German Aerospace Center, where can they go? Well, um, easiest way is normally you go on www.dlr.de. There you can have um, the German and an English version, version as well. If you want to know a little bit more about technology marketing in DLR, you can contact us uh, or you can go on the website www.dlr.de slash tm, like trademark. Uh, technology marketing. Or technology marketing. <laughs> And um, there you find the contact data of Dr. Fischer and you also find then contact data of our patent and uh, licensing department within the technology market. Okay, this has been a fantastic interview. Thank you very much, uh, both of you, for uh, being on the show. And um, I hope you have lots of success in marketing your technology. Yeah, thank you very much. And I wish you good success with uh, IP Fridays. Thank you very much. Thank you, Rolf, that uh, we could be on the show. And this is a very good podcast. I always like to listen to it. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you very much, Stefan. That's it for this episode. If you liked what you heard, please show us your love by visiting ipfridays.com slash love and tweet a link to this show. We would be so grateful if you would do that. It would help us out to get the word out. Also, please subscribe to our podcast at ipfridays.com or on iTunes or Stitcher.com. If you have a question or want to be featured in one of the upcoming episodes, please send us your feedback at ipfridays.com slash feedback. Also, please leave us a review on iTunes. You can go to ipfridays.com slash iTunes and it will take you right to the correct page on iTunes. If you want to get mentioned on this podcast or even have comments within the next episode, please leave us your voicemail at ipfridays.com slash voicemail. You have been listening to an episode of IP Fridays. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of nor are they endorsed by their respective law firms. None of the content should be considered legal advice. The IP Fridays podcast should not be construed as legal advice or legal opinion on any specific facts or circumstances. The contents of this podcast are intended for general informational purposes only, and you are urged to consult your own lawyer on any specific legal questions. As always, consult a lawyer or patent or trademark attorney. Copyright 2014. All rights reserved. Thank you.